0: Well, have you ever experienced road rage? There was a particular time that I was leaving, and I was headed for home, but I was in a hurry. I think I must have had to come back later that night or something, and I take the back way out to Haywood, and over there by the Dollar General or Family Dollar, whichever it is, I don't know. There's several lanes and a light, and there was a big semi-truck pulled up in the center lane, and I thought he was turning left. Well, I must have failed to see that he had his blinker on to turn right or something, I don't know, because the lane on the right side was empty, and so I took it, and he was trying to keep it open, I think, to turn. So I'm sitting there in my right lane, trying to see around this truck so that I can turn, and all of a sudden, this truck beside me starts to move, so I'll never be able to see, and it starts to come closer and closer and closer, and I just am waiting for it to push me completely off the road and into that big ravine right there. <clears throat> and you never know what you're going to do in those situations. I can tell you what I did as I saw that truck just moving in on top of me. I went, ah! <laughs> <clears throat> and right before he was about to, to run into my truck, he stopped, in the whole... Truck did this big jerk like this. And I was kind of in a panic and I, you know, I tried to pull out and get out of his way so that he could continue on, which he did and barreled down behind me on Haywood right on my back bumper. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Having a hard time breathing. (sighs) And I get to Rugby and Haywood, that cross road there, and there is a red light. I'm thinking, I don't need a red light, I need green, please, turn green, turn green. Nope, it was red. And I stop, and the truck stops right behind me, and this big guy, he must have been eight foot, you know, ten and a half, (laughs) steps out of this truck, and he marches over to my window, which I maintained in the up position, (laughs) and he proceeded to tell me what he thought of me which, you know, I I suppose I deserved, I don't know. And then the light turned green, and uh, I kept telling him, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and I continued on my way, trying to get the adrenaline to calm down. (sighs) Have you ever experienced road rage? Yeah, road rage. It's a real thing. In fact, uh, the Madison University, James Madison University in Virginia, Uh, did a study also with the University of Toronto, it was a joint study, and they told us something I think that we already know, that we see others' faults before we see our own. Have you noticed that? They say this in their little uh, report, it says, when considering the uh, irrational choices of a stranger, for instance, we are forced to rely on how they behave. We see their biases from the outside, However, when assessing our own bad choices, we tend to engage in elaborate introspection. We study our motivations and search for relevant reasons. And then they talk about this road rage example as if when we're driving down the road and we see some crazy behavior, we have no context of what's going on, yet if it's something that we do, we rationalize. We say things like, "Well, I'm important. I'm, I'm late to a very important meeting. I don't often speed. This is a rarity. Whatever." On and on and on. And so we're easier on ourselves, but without the context, we're very hard on other people. Have you found that to be the case in your own life? If someone cuts you off in traffic, there's one simple, observable explanation: He's a jerk. Another study, uh, New York Times Magazine reported this, only 17% say they are overly concerned about themselves, this is talking about pride and and all those types of of things, but 60% think that most people are overly concerned about themselves. In case you missed it, you have the problem, I don't have a problem. And I'm real easy and quick to see and discern your problems And depending, I might just tell you your problem. And it usually starts like this, you know what your problem is? (laughs) And I am at license to tell you the problem because I don't have any problems. That's the way it goes. Pride, friends, can be a major blind spot if you haven't noticed. Now perhaps there's been a time that you've been humbled. Perhaps there's a time that you've been put in your place, so to speak. Something happened at work or wherever else, and you are feeling very humble. It's at those moments that you can see a little more clearly your own faults, your own flaws. But in pride, no, couldn't be. This morning, I want to look at a story. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me. In fact, this one story is found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we're going to turn and look at John's rendition of this story in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. While you're turning there, of course we can remember this verse, Proverbs 16:18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Why do you suppose pride becomes, comes before I fall? Because I had a blind spot. I was too busy focused on the wrong thing, probably myself or my accomplishments or what I've done, and I don't see this very simple thing laid out for me and I stumble and I fall. So we're in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Oh, I skipped this whole section here. Yes, we're going through uh, talking about sacrifice and the different parts of sacrifice, but I'll spare you that. John chapter 12, beginning verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Notice it's six days before Passover. This is probably on a Saturday night. Passover is on a Friday, so this would most probably be a Saturday night. And Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead. Do you oftentimes eat meals with people who had been dead? This is what they were doing on this particular occasion. Remember, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so Lazarus is there. Verse 2, "'There they made him a supper, and Martha served.'" But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And if you look here at this picture, you'll see a little bit of the idea of the type of table. Your feet were oftentimes very dirty, and so those were put as far away from the food as possible in some kind of a uh, U-shaped type of a couch, if you will. And so a servant could come in in the middle and serve the food, and then everybody would sit with their feet to the outside while they ate. Verse 3, then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now one thing I want us to look at here is that pride tends to look at self. And we're going to see that here in just a moment. It mentions spikenard. Spikenard is a root of India, um, a plant that grows in the Himalayan mountains, and it's in the same family that we get Valium from and so forth, but it was reserved for kings, Uh, a very expensive and lavish fragrance with relaxing qualities. And here we have, if any of you get any type of essential oils, you know how expensive they are for a few ounces, but here the text tells us that Mary took a whole how much? Pound of very costly, I would say so, oil of spikenard, and annoyed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. And so we'll continue on Verse 4, but one of his disciples and several of the other gospels, Mark and Matthew, talk about the disciples' grumbling, but it's John that tells us, I believe, who starts the grumbling. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Sounds noble enough, right? Why all this waste? Why lavish so much and just to put it on the feet of somebody we could have taken this and we could have sold it and we could have supported so much of it for the poor I mean you think about this other gospels talk about this is 300 denarii that's a year's wage what do you make in a year When's the last time you're going through the mall and you went through that fragrance shop that you can't miss and you stop in there oh this is nice I like this how much Thousands of dollars, whatever your income is. Yeah, I'll take it. This is Judas's point. This is absurd. This is over the top. This is a waste of something that we could have used for the poor. Judas is looking at self. Pride looks at self. Now, the text here makes it seem as if he's looking out for somebody else, but let's keep reading verse 6 then he said not that he cared for the poor but because he was a what a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it so here Judas in his pride is looking down on somebody else for what they're doing in this beautiful act by the way because he thinks it should have gone into the treasury for the quotes poor aka Judas Pride always looks out for number one, for self. He has an agenda, and it's his agenda. But verse 7, Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. And that's the end of that section of verses. Judas's greed is made very apparent. And we're real good at doing these mental gymnastics, making it seem as if we're saying something and spreading something that sounds very noble and uplifting, and we're looking out for others. But in fact, oftentimes, as is the case with Judas, we're just looking after ourselves. How could I benefit from this? How could I come out on top? What would make me look good? How could I spin this project to make it look like I'm the one that brought about its fruition? Yes, pride looks at self. But that's just one aspect of pride. Another aspect is that pride looks at others. It's one of those things where you're always concerned about what other people think. Have you met people that are always overly concerned with what other people think? It's as if they have no opinion of their own. Did you think that was nice? Well, you know, it was okay. Well, I loved it. Oh, me too. Have your own opinion. But no, pride looks at others. It looks itself, but it looks at others. How am I doing based on other people around me? What are they thinking of me right now? How is this situation reflecting on me? And we see that aspect in another version of this story in Luke chapter seven. Turn with me to Luke chapter seven. Beginning verse 36. Luke chapter seven, verse 36. We begin to read there. Then one of the Pharisees, Matthew and Mark call this Simon the leper, who is healed of leprosy, which is no small parentheses, by the way. Leprosy was the last thing that you wanted. It was death by degrees, if you will, as certain parts of your body would end up getting worse and worse, and eventually you would abuse your own body, not having any feeling there You were unclean, you were outside of the camp, outside of the city, you were ostracized from society and your own family. Yet here, this Pharisee, Simon the leper, Matthew and Mark tells us, asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. Verse 37, and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... Notice, this is something that is quite known in the town. We know exactly who Mary is, Mary Magdalene. She's one of the sinners of the city. Well, what kind of sin? Well, I don't like to talk about it, but there's a lot of things that she does that I don't condone. I'm surprised you don't know. You must be new to town. A woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Notice that word, anointed. And now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. I was wondering about this Jesus fellow, but obviously, since he hasn't cast this woman with ill repute aside, he cannot be a prophet. He's fidgeting. He's uncomfortable. What are people thinking now as this prostitute, as this woman who's had demons cast out of her and now enters into my home of all things? And now she's coming along this side of the outside of this table, thinking that we're not going to notice. And she could have put just a little bit of oil, but no, she has to put a lot of oil. She has to break the box, it says in other versions of this story. And what are people going to think? That now my guest is being touched by this woman who we all know is a sinner. And if he were a prophet, he would cast her off. Obviously, he's not a prophet. I mean, this is disgraceful. She's letting her hair down. She's weeping. She's making a huge display and he's worried, I believe. What are people thinking? And I imagine they're thinking what I'm thinking. And he hears the grumbling, and it's confirmed, yes, they are thinking the same thing, that this is quite out of place. You see, Simon was a sin spotter. They're easy to spot, From the smell on their breath, from the way that they dress, from how they carry themselves. Yeah, you can spot a sinner from a mile away. And Simon has spotted her sin. And in fact, I'm not sure if Simon even sees the woman. He only sees her sin. How do you see people, church? Do you see people as people? Or do you see them as sinners? Do you categorize them? Oh, they have this addiction. They have this issue. They're one of those. Ironically, in Desire of Ages, 566, it said, Simon had led into sin the woman he now despised. Does that make anybody angry? She had been deeply wronged by him, but Simon felt himself more righteous than Mary. There's the blind spot. In my pride, I seek after myself. In my pride, I look at everybody else and see what they're thinking, but I never look introspectively at where I am. And so Simon is feeling very righteous, very proper very much doing everything he's supposed to be doing, but he sees very easily the sin of this woman. This is a disgrace. Yet ironically, he led her into sin. We don't know exactly how this worked and what this looked like. But in his mind, she was a cast off. Let's keep reading. Verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon... I have something to say to you. Now notice he didn't say these things, he just thought them, yet this man who he says and knows is not a prophet because how he is allowing this woman to relate to him says this, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him more. So here we have two sums of money. One is a tenth of the other, and they're both canceled and forgiven. Who will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I believe that to be a deep question. Not do you believe or do you see this sinner? Do you see the background? Do you see her poor choices? Do you see how undeserving she is? No, he says, do you see, Simon, this woman? Do you see her? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet which was a big disrespect, by the way. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Obviously, he's not a prophet. This is blasphemy. Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The reality is, friends, nobody in the room understood truly who Jesus was and what was about to happen except this woman. Does that mean I have to go sin a bunch so that I can? know? that's not the point at all. The point is she sees her need. She sees her sinfulness. She sees her need of a savior. And the other doesn't think he needs much of a savior. Only this woman. And in a spin of irony, you might recall that Eve was the one that was deceived in the garden. Adam chose, but it was Eve that was deceived. As to the nature and character of God, can he be trusted? Eve was deceived, and here Mary is the only one who sees clearly the nature and character of God. In a spin of irony, Simon is healed physically by Jesus, but Mary is healed spiritually by Jesus. In a spin of irony, in Christ's parable, one debtor owes 500 denarii, the other 50, that's one-tenth. In real life, Mary gave a gift of 300 denarii. Judas sold Jesus For 30 pieces, that's one-tenth. In a spin of irony, the Bible only mentions Jesus receiving two kisses in his life. Yes, he probably received some from his mother and others, but the Bible only mentions two. One by Mary as she kisses his feet, and the other by Judas as he betrays him. No, it's Mary who sees clearly at this moment. Because she's not prideful, but she's humble. She sees her sin. She sees her need. She sees the forgiveness of Jesus. She sees hope and salvation and life eternal. She sees a savior. And she's compelled to show him. She's not concerned with herself. She's not concerned with what others think. She just is compelled to show at great risk to herself. She crashes the party, and she doesn't use just a little bit, but she breaks the whole thing and starts with his feet. In another gospel, it talks about how he anoints the head of Jesus. She doesn't care about what others think. She takes all she has, and she spends it on Jesus, and she kisses his feet in Gratitude. Lastly, pride blinds us from the truth. That's the other sad reality of pride. Everybody else at that occasion was blinded in one respect or the other, except for Mary, at the feet of Jesus, humbling herself. Weeping. Washing Jesus' feet with her own tears and then taking her hair It says in 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen, 15, if a woman has long hair, it is glory to her. And so here this woman is taking the glory to her and laying it at Jesus' feet. Now we talk about the service of humility. And we do that here in this church. And we wash each other's feet. When's the last time you bent down and you wept at somebody's feet and kissed their feet? Do we do that? But that's the picture we have of this woman weeping at Jesus' feet, laying her glory at his feet. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 12 says, While the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. A prophecy, I believe, talking about Jesus. And in Mark 14, 8, in his account, he says, She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. She's the only one that gets it. And she's come to anoint my body for burial. She started at the feet, but then she broke the flask and poured it on his head, it says in verse 3. Now, who gets anointed? Anointing simply means a covering, right? Well, we can go back to 2 Kings 9, verse 3. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Friends, kings get anointed. Jesus was our king. We could look at Exodus 29, 36. You shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it in to sanctify it. So here in this sanctuary service, in this sanctuary practice, you anoint. Jesus is our sacrifice. And here in Psalm 133, verse 2, it's likely the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, the priest the children of israel jesus was our high priest he was our king of kings lord of lords he was our perfect sacrifice he was ministering for us in the heavenly sanctuary and it was mary of all things that anointed him she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial And then it says, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, even in 2016 in Hendersonville, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to me. Is that what it says? Memorial to her, to her humility, to seeing her need, for putting it all on the line. For the God that saved her. You could even make the argument, this was dirty money. Well, it may have been. But Jesus receives it because of the heart of this giver. Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This woman is an example of that verse. Here's something written by Vance Havner. God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. And is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It is Peter weeping bitterly who returns to greater power than ever. Friends, too often we have to be broken before Christ can use us. But as long as we're looking to self, as long as we're looking to everybody else, as long as we're keeping the blinders on, there's only so much that can be done. In humility, Mary saw Jesus and she sacrificed her pride and she gave him her all." On the other end of the spectrum, in Mark's Gospel, Judas leaves immediately from this dinner and goes to the chief priest to betray him, to at least negotiate the price. Zara of Ages says, from the supper, he went directly to the palace of the high priest where he found the council assembled and he offered to betray Jesus into their hands. He was so frustrated at this man, Jesus. He wasn't doing it right. And we know the end result of Judas as a result of his pride. Christ's Object Lessons, we've looked at this before, there is nothing so offensive to God or so dangerous to the human soul as pride and self-sufficiency. Of all sins, it is the most hopeless, the most incurable. That's a stark statement, friends. How about Simon? Well, I like what Desire of Ages tells us about Simon. Simon he said his pride was humbled he repented and the proud Pharisee became a lowly self-sacrificing disciple I don't know about you but that brings good news to me and I love this quote here Jesus knows the circumstances of every soul here this morning right now he knows the circumstances and you may say I am sinful very sinful And you may be, but the worse you are, the more you need Jesus. He turns no weeping contrite one away. He does not tell to any all that he might reveal, but he bids every trembling soul take courage. Freely will he pardon all who come to him for forgiveness and restoration. Is that good news? Our theme verse, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Friends, we need to sacrifice in many areas of our life. But we need to sacrifice our pride. We need to sacrifice our self-sufficiency. We need to take the focus off of ourselves. We need to take the focus off of what others think. And we need to put all the focus on Jesus Christ. What he means to us. The gift he has given to us and how that has radically changed our lives. And so I challenge each and every one of you in the quietness of your own heart to think, what do I need to sacrifice? What pride is there that I need to relinquish? Dear Heavenly Father, we are guilty of being prideful. We are guilty on focusing on ourselves We are guilty of focusing on what others think of us. And Lord, by all these practices, we become blinded to the truth. The truth of the matter is, Mary got it right. Teach us how to humbly give of ourselves in a way that honors you, that uplifts you. She anointed you for your crucifixion on the cross. Lord, may we be broken that the fragrance of your spirit may permeate this world, that we may go home. In your name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org